Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Today, a special edition of the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Koka. There's this video, a profile of a Bay Area ballerina. It was made a few years ago by KQED, which also produces the California Report. My dream is to become a principal dancer one day. Principal dancer dances all the main roles. When this video came out, Miko Fogarty was 18 years old and a rising star, a slender rod of lightning in a tutu and a bun. She had just landed her dream job with one of the world's top ballet companies in England. I still have so much more to discover about my body and to really know where I can take it. Miko was with that company for just a year, and then she vanished from the ballet world. A few months ago, KQED arts and culture reporter Chloe Veltman found Miko Fogarty. She also discovered something disturbing about a former coach of hers, a man named Viktor Kabaniaev. On today's show, Chloe explores teenage trauma, suppressed memories, and the enormous pressures dancers face. She looks at how those pressures changed Miko in ways she never could have imagined. A quick heads up, our show today is probably not suitable for kids. Okay, Miko, let's get ready and show us wild girl from streets of Sevilla. Go for it. Energy. Dynamic. This is a moment from another dance documentary featuring Miko Fogarty. The feature-length movie First Position follows six young ballet hopefuls as they prep for a big competition in New York. Viktor Kobaniaev and Miko Fogarty appear together in many scenes. On screen, Victor comes across as a stern taskmaster. He issues orders from the edge of the dance studio with his hands clasped behind his back, like Captain Kirk aboard the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Miko, dark-haired and fierce in a swirling black tutu, executes a cascade of flawless turns across the space. Miko is an exceptional student. Thank you, great job. Victor helped to develop Miko's talent. The documentary was shot when Miko was just 12 years old, and it shows her dance coach's influence ranged well beyond the studio. 
My ballet teacher, Victor, suggested that it would be a good idea if I did homeschooling so I have more hours to do ballet so I could get much better in a shorter amount of time. First position turned Miko into a budding dance world celebrity. She developed a huge social media presence. Today, Miko has 300,000 followers on Instagram and her YouTube videos have more than 20 million views. All those fans might have been surprised to hear where I found Miko this summer, in a lab at the University of California, San Francisco. Now age 21, she's working part-time as a cancer research assistant. So we always have to spray down all the counters and all the desk tops to make sure everything stays very sterile. Miko still has the same ballet dancer's alert posture and cat-like walk, still sometimes wears her hair in a tight bun. But she's no longer performing. I spent many hours this past summer in Miko's company. We'd meet after her shifts at the lab, sit in the building and chat, or take strolls together around the neighbourhood. Miko is always resolutely self-confident, poised and polite. She's quick to shrug off any kind of discomfort or pain. Like when she shares a memory of an early ballet injury. And so for the first lesson that we had on point was also the first time I got my first blister. <laughs> and I just remember feeling like, what is that feeling on my pinky toe? And then when I took my pointers off, it was a blister, but it didn't hurt as much as I expected it to hurt. She went from being a baby ballerina in the San Francisco Bay Area to acing her audition with England's Birmingham Royal Ballet. All within just a few years, she was headed for stardom. So what happened? It's been tough for Miko to open up about why she left dance. When I caught up with her this summer, two years had passed since she quit but she was still posting gorgeous dance photos of herself on Instagram. For all her followers knew, she was still dancing and as committed to ballet now as she was as a little kid in the documentary First Position. Most kids my age, they're not 100% sure what they're gonna do. But I know I'm gonna do ballet for the rest of my life. But over these last few weeks, I've begun to catch glimpses of what it's been like for Miko to pursue a passion with single-minded persistence and then to drop it and change direction completely. I was always kind of waiting for the moment where I got off stage or it was after the performance. Like, I couldn't wait for that moment after. That moment when she could stop performing. First, let's rewind to when Miko was just four. Before Miko started ballet, she was sort of bad mood after a nap. I brought her to ballet. Suddenly, she really cheered up. She really, really became happy. That's Miko's mom, Satoko Fogarty, in the documentary First Position. Satoko is a former concert pianist. She followed her husband from her native Japan to the UK and then to California. She'd given up professional music to raise Miko and her younger brother, Jules. What I get from watching the film is that Miko's mom acted like so many parents of child prodigies. The other moms think, oh, I'm too involved. But I, I don't want to regret that I could have done more for them. So I, I think I, I try to do the best. And Miko was dreaming big from a young age, too. 
What four-year-old girl doesn't want to dance like a fairy, I guess? By the time she was eight, she was taking classes almost every day. Miko fell in love with everything to do with ballet, the choreography, the music, the costumes. Every time I got a new tutu, it was amazing. <laughs> it was an amazing feeling to take it out of the box and see it sparkle for the first time. Her mom would drive her all over the place for private and group ballet lessons. First position captures her demanding schedule. Miko, we have to go. Otherwise, we will be late for the rehearsal. I ask Miko if her mom pushed her too hard. She says both her parents were nothing but supportive. My mom kind of pushed me to work hard and be the very best in my academics and in my in my ballet career. My dad made sure that my brother and I had time to like play and to go to the park and go camping and go do all these fun things. So it was a really nice balance between my mom and my dad. Miko's mom sought out the very best teachers for her daughter. So when Miko was 10, Satoko hired Viktor Kabanyaev. He came highly recommended. There are basically two main vehicles for launching careers in the cutthroat ballet world, winning medals at major international dance competitions and securing auditions with important companies. Kabanyaev was known for helping his students attain these extremely elusive goals. I did like trust him fully and he was like my second dad at that point. Miko wasn't the only student who looked up to the dance coach. Quite a few of his students were like pretty high profile, um, won a lot of competitions and things. That's Patricia Zhou. She's a former student of Viktor Kabanyaev's. Among other achievements, she apprenticed at the Royal Ballet in London. When we speak on the phone, Patricia doesn't only describe Victor as a tough and brilliant teacher. She also says he was thoughtful and caring. He really um, just like took care of me like a family member would. Um, and he was always so kind. It was a coup to score him as a coach. Miko's career took off in the five years she trained with him. He was tough. He worked her really hard. Up, up, up. Don't give up. Pull up. Competition in the world so huge. And if there is a girl like her, but she has better feet, judges, directors would take her rather than Miko. Miko says she and her coach spent a lot of time together. They sometimes had coffee between their private and group lessons. He drove her around in his car. One afternoon in 2011, Miko says Victor invited her to see his new apartment south of San Francisco. So I was like, OK. I knew him really well and we'd like travel to ballet competitions together and everything. So Miko says he was showing her the bedroom when he started flirting with her. He made some remarks like you should come back sometime and we can do like fun things on this bed or something something along those lines and I felt very uncomfortable and he was like you should even like try this mattress it's like a new like Tempur-Pedic mattress or something so I like sat on it. Miko suggested they go back out into the living room to watch a dance video. During that he was like do you want a massage and normally like before he'd given me like half massages and they felt like great like he could like really work the muscle out and us dancers are always sore so I was like okay but like instead of like um a massage it was more like he was just kind of touching me everywhere like lightly. (laughs) 
she was 13, wearing a leotard and tights. He was going over my, like, non-existent boobs, and he didn't go right on, the, on like, the crotch, but he was, like, going very far up my thighs, yeah. This is not... It was not a massage. There was no, like, pressure to, like, massage out my muscles. It was not like that. She quietly waited for him to stop. After about 15 minutes, she says he did. And then we just went back to the studio and we had class again. You're listening to a special edition of The California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Coca. We've been hearing reporter Chloe Veltman's story about Miko Fogarty, a rising California star in the ballet world. Miko didn't tell anyone about the uncomfortable afternoon she spent with her dance coach, Viktor Kabaniaev. That was partly because she didn't want her mom to worry. I mean, I always wanted to make it seem to my mom that everything was going well with me and him. She worked so hard and supported me so much in ballet and paid so much money, so... Miko put the incident behind her, but she says things weren't the same with her coach after that. He started ignoring her in class. And he kind of started focusing on the younger girls and left me on my own. One day, when she was 15... She says she was in the final stages of prepping for a big competition in New York and a solo performance in Peru. And everybody else in the class got about an hour to each perform their solos. And so I asked him if I could just run my piece, which was maybe one and a half minutes long. But he said, no, no, like, you can't. Even though other students were repeating their solos two or three times, I couldn't even just do my one and a half minute solo once. After that, I was just like, oh, this, this sucks. <laughs> that was the last lesson Miko ever took from Viktor Kobaniaev. After Miko's mom fired Kobaniaev, Miko's career continued to soar. One of the high points was winning the gold medal in Moscow at one of the world's most prestigious dance competitions. Miko rarely thought she danced well, but in this case, she says she aced it. The moment I got off stage, I couldn't believe that I'd actually performed to the best of my abilities. And just to get gold on top of that was just like, yeah, the cherry on top at the end. But things didn't always go right for Miko out there under the lights. Like the time she competed in Varna, Bulgaria, when she was 17. Miko had been dealing with a foot injury on and off for years. On stage, she felt a pop in her foot, and the pain spread through her body. Miko says she had the choice of either pulling out or finding a doctor to administer a local anaesthetic so she could go on dancing. The doctor didn't really advise to dance with an injured foot, but we'd flown all the way to Bulgaria, which cost a lot of money, and and I just wanted to do my best. She went on to get auditions with prestigious institutions around the globe. Then came the offers. At 18, Miko picked the job with the Birmingham Royal Ballet in England. She did some international touring. 
and a lot of swan lakes. Many, many swan lakes. I don't remember the exact number, but it was like 60 swan lakes or something crazy. But by then, the ballet life was losing its sheen. When I was in a company, I just realized, like, this is not really what I expected. And What did you expect? I, I guess I expected kind of more, I guess, glamour as a ballerina, but it's not a glamorous life at all. It definitely felt like more like a job more than a passion. Like so many people in her trade, Miko was having body image problems. She hated having to weigh less than 110 pounds. One of the hardest parts for me was like the pressure to always be so skinny. Then the eating problems started. I did go through a period of... Um, it's like, I guess it's like really hard for me to open up about it, but like, like anorexia and even like bulimia for... Yeah, it was a few months that were, went really, really bad. And I was just in such a bad state mentally and even physically, I just felt disgusting all the time. But Miko wouldn't let anyone know she was struggling. Because I wanted to put the facade on that I'm, I had like control of everything and everything's going well. Her followers on Instagram probably thought Miko would continue to dance forever, but she secretly had other plans. Around February 2016 was when I decided I wanted to do something else and I started looking at other careers. She finally told her parents how bad she was feeling. Her mom flew to the rescue. Miko says when her mom arrived in Birmingham, she didn't try to persuade her daughter to stick with ballet. She just wanted to make sure I was making the right decision because she didn't want me to regret down the road that I should have, could have, should have kept going. But Miko had made up her mind. That summer, she packed her bags, returned to California and went back to school. Though not for dance. This fall, Miko enrolled in UC Berkeley as a junior. She's majoring in biology. She plans to become a doctor. Miko still coaches dance privately in the Bay Area on occasional weekends, but she's otherwise said goodbye to ballet. I'm really happy and really content with how everything's going so far. And I feel like I've found my true calling in the academic world and in science. <laughs> Miko found herself a new life. She was loving her freedom from the grind of endless swan lakes and steamed broccoli for dinner. She moved into her parents' house in Orinda, east of Oakland. Then one day, this past January, her dad called up to her room to share some crazy news. Shock in the ballet community tonight. A ballet master known around the world is in police custody here in the Bay Area, accused of child molestation. Miko's old dance coach, Viktor Kabanayev, was under arrest. 54-year-old Viktor Kabanayev is in jail tonight after being arrested at his home in San Mateo County on Friday on a warrant for 16 counts of aggravated sexual assault of a child under 14. Viktor Kabanayev has been in jail in Contra Costa County since January after a former student accused him of repeatedly raping and molesting her. She told authorities Kabanyaev first attacked her when she was 12. He was denied bail, and the police put the word out asking for other victims to step forward. At this point, Miko Fogarty had firmly put her ballet days behind her. She says she hadn't thought about her former coach in years. I was kind of shocked when I heard about the news 
but I wasn't completely surprised. She had never said a word about what she remembered happened to her in his home that day to anyone. She just buried it. As an athlete or a ballet dancer, you really want to trust your teachers, that you want to put your whole trust in them. I just kind of wanted to forget it. But when the news broke about his arrest and the memory resurfaced, she decided to open up about it to her parents. Of course, they were shocked and upset. They were also grateful that I didn't didn't have to go through anything worse than what I did go through. Like, my parents kept asking me, like, does anything like this, like what this, this other person had to go through, did that happen to you? And I was like, no, not, not that, not to that extreme. Miko sat with the headlines for a few days. She thought about calling the police to tell them what she says happened to her when she was 13. But Miko says it was hard to justify the phone call at first. Described as a monster in court. I was like watching all the stuff that was coming out about the Me Too movement and all the gymnasts with um, Larry Nasser and everything else. But behind closed doors, he was abusing them. But still, I didn't feel like my situation was serious enough. Miko gave it some more thought. Then, with her parents' encouragement, she decided to go ahead and pick up the phone. She says she did it because she wanted to add strength and credibility to victim number one's charges against her former coach. Like, if it's just one person that reports something about someone, like, it's hard for people to believe. Miko's identity was supposed to remain anonymous in the court documents because she was a minor when the alleged incident occurred. But when I pulled the case file a few months ago, there was her name, Miko Fogarty, victim number two. I told Miko and called the police department to find out what had happened. The detective on the case said including her name in the documents was a mistake. Okay, there's victim one. When I went back to the courthouse to look at the papers again just recently, some of the instances of her name had been removed, but not all of them. Oh, oh gosh, Miko's name is still here. A while back, I contacted Viktor Kobaniaev's lawyer to request an interview with the defendant in jail. The lawyer said no, but what I do know from digging into the case file is that respect for Viktor still runs strong throughout the ballet community. He has many, many allies. As I flip through the case file, I'm astounded by the sheer volume of letters of support written in Victor's defence. From family members, former students, parents, dancers and choreographers he's worked with in the past. He is loved and admired by his students and parents alike. He maintains a professional distance, but he cares very much about the well-being of his dancers. I always felt safe with Mr. Victor even when my parents or other students were not in the studio during private sessions. When I ask Miko Fogarty if the alleged incident with Kobaniaev had anything to do with her decision to stop dancing, she shakes her head no. She reminds me it happened years before she quit. She'd forgotten all about it until the allegations came out this year. And she adds, if she was still dancing, she would never have told anyone. The ballet world is really small, so... If, like, someone heard that you didn't work well with someone or you complained about someone, then, like, no one will want to work with you again. But the more Miko's told me about what happened to her around that same time, I get the feeling that the alleged incident with her coach may have affected her life in indirect ways. 
like when Miko tells me about having a breakdown when she was 13. I kind of got burnt out. She was getting very little sleep, hadn't had a day off in six months. She started acting out in front of Kobaniaev in the dance studio. I cried a lot during private lessons and stuff, and sometimes I would just ignore his corrections. Yeah, I just like lost any passion that I had for ballet. After Miko shares this memory, I ask her if the breakdown coincided with her claim about what happened to her in Viktor Kobaniaev's home when she says he came on to her and touched her inappropriately. I figure she's told me both things happened when she was 13. It was really close to that time. It might have been right after or it was really close there. Miko's memory is a bit fuzzy about this time in her life. But she does describe some lingering discomfort around the period when she trained with Kobaniaev. Yeah, I think if I ever went back to that dance studio that I was at, I think I'd feel the same. Where I would just kind of feel this, like, dread. The case against ballet coach Viktor Kobaniaev is ongoing. The police department is in contact with at least one other potential victim. But for now, they won't say more than that. Just now, we're seeing Me Too narratives emerge in the ballet world, a world which has long been rife with abuses of power, like the recent scandals swirling around the New York City ballet, sexual misconduct allegations against its former director, and the male dancers who shared sexually explicit photographs of a female colleague. Now to that bombshell lawsuit against the New York City Ballet. A ballerina is claiming a male dancer secretly took and shared intimate photos of her, also accusing the ballet of allowing male dancers to behave badly without consequence. There are so many stories of dancers suffering trauma and then swallowing it. All that dancing through the pain, it's the stuff of practically every dance movie. The Red Shoes, Billy Elliot, Black Swan... I had the craziest dream last night about a girl who was turned into a swan, but her prince falls for the wrong girl and she kills herself. Not all ballet stories have to end in such a tragic way. Breaking out of ballet has given Miko the freedom to do bold things, like embark upon a whole new career, and have the courage to tell her thousands of followers on social media about it. For the first time, she recently shared Instagram posts hinting at her new life, like a picture of the UC Berkeley campus. The response has been overwhelmingly supportive. And then I kind of felt like a weight was lifted off my chest, like I could be more honest. When I look back at Miko's journey so far, I can't help but think of something the famous ballerina Gelsey Kirkland once said on TV. Kirkland was one of the greatest American dancers of her generation. Like Miko, she faced many challenges. The CBS news show 60 Minutes interviewed Kirkland in the 1980s. What do you tell a young ballerina who comes to you and says, I want to grow up and be just like you? I would say, study something other than ballet and use your mind and try to become an artist, not just a dancer. You won't find the answers in the steps themselves. Try to become an artist, not just a dancer, she says. You won't find the answer in the steps themselves. Technically, Miko Fogarty is no longer making art. 
but on her new path to becoming a doctor, I think she's more of an artist now than she ever was in the past. Instead of following a series of prescribed steps, now Miko's making up her own dance. You've been listening to a special edition of the California Report magazine. Today's story was reported by Chloe Feldman. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. If you missed any of today's show, you can hear the entire story on our podcast, The California Report magazine. Just look for the bear wearing earbuds. The director of our show is Susie Racho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. David Marks is our online producer. And our intern is Marisol Medina Cadena. Our team includes Bianca Taylor, Julia McAvoy, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. Special thanks this week to Bess Cargman for permission to use clips from First Position and KQED dance critic Carla Escoda for her help with this story. Thanks also to Abby Singh for sharing the audio from the profile he did of Miko Fogarty. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems and the James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty. More at irvine.org. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.